This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 24th of September 2019. And we are going to be talking about something that's called Okmaudium. And to explain all that, I have my co-host, Dave. Indeed. Otherwise known as orchestration, configuration, <laughs> management, automation. What does it all mean? Well, no, actually what this means is that if I complain to Dave about this, he does things like that. But go ahead, I don't want to interrupt you. This is part two of our <laughs> session with uh, Mark Phillips uh, from Red Hat talking to us, um, not specifically about Ansible, but more about the general terms around orchestration, configuration management, automation, and uh, why it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. So... This is uh, continuing the second and final part in this particular series. Uh, but again, great conversation. Lots of other stuff linked in the show notes below. So uh, unless you have anything. No, let's get on with it. Let's do this. To be fair to people that have been in this game for a while, I think the not just the industry has has been uh, has been accelerating but also and has grown up a lot faster than anything else but i also think it's it's ballooned in terms of the number of technologies and options uh, you know ne- never a week goes by where something uh, a whole brace of new things don't pop into the into the the it world it's just kind of the continual flow of not just things evolving but brand new things popping into existence i think you know causes uh, fatigue to even the most driven person to try and stay up to date with these things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a there's a, a quote that I like wheeling out that's supposedly attributed to uh, a, a 20th century economist uh, economist called E. F. Schumacher. Uh, mm. E. F. Schumacher uh, was a German-born chap who uh, somewhat bizarrely ended up. Uh, Running the uh, finances of the British Coal Board, I think in the seventies, and he wrote a he wrote a book in nineteen seventy three called "Small Is Beautiful: A Study of Economics as If People Mattered." Uh, and there is there is a, there's a <laughs> phenomenal, isn't it? We could do with. I tell you what, you know, I read it recently, and uh, there's an awful lot of common sense in it that we could do with applying to today. <laughs> it would, yeah, would be very yeah, useful. But there's a there's a <laughs> there's a, there's a I think it's paraphrased because I found the actual words in the book and they aren't quite like this but the quote goes uh, any intelligent fool can make something more complicated it takes a touch of genius and a bit of courage to move in the opposite direction and I think the sort of the point of that is we've got this proliferation of tools because yeah. people start using one tool it doesn't suit the way they're working so they write another one so the complexity yeah. just grows and grows and grows and grows whereas what we could do with doing is simplifying things that would actually make life a lot easier if things were simpler easier if the you know the user experience of these tools was far easier people would adopt them quicker and we'd stop reinventing the wheel uh, and we wouldn't have the piles of messes that we do yeah i mean in in some ways at least in my mind this was this was part of the the promise of of open source way back when is that people would you know, if if something didn't work exactly the way that you wanted, well, you could just contribute to it, and then it would do the things that it did, plus the things that you wanted it to do. And we would all, you know, we would have a, a far smaller set of systems that would serve all the people, and we would live in this wonderful utopia. And unfortunately, that that really hasn't been how everything has played out. And instead, 
it has it has it's played out in completely the opposite direction where as you say like anyone and everyone can go and stand up a, a brand new tool that's 80% like the thing that you were using last week and 20% slightly different in a really weird oddball direction hey there we go new tool and and just kind of this 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 proliferation of of just brand new technologies popping popping up all over the place it's just uh, it, it really it really, again, it really, uh, it really disturbs me on a, on a very, very core level. This this thing around um, not invented here syndrome, where people you know refuse to use technologies um, that other people have come up with because oh well we didn't build it, and I think we can build a you know a system that's five percent better than that other system, and uh, so we'll throw a whole load of money into them and marketing and people and resources and and then we'll build something that is fractionally different and uh, continue to muddy the waters in the marketplace yeah. Oh. Yeah, let's define a new standard yes. <laughs> yeah now yes. we have one now standards we have in plus one standards yes anyway sorry yes. that was my uh, my my kind of slightly ranty point there but I think some of the some of what we've been talking about um, for a lot of people that are perhaps um, closer to the, the, let's say, the cutting edge uh, of IT and technology as a whole, will be thinking that a lot of this sounds either very familiar or, but surely this is the way that everything is done. Because a lot of this is quite, or can vary between, you know, if you're on-prem and, and bare metal in old-school serverland, or if you're, you know, fully cloud-native and and that sort of things. And in my mind, a lot of this is about, and a lot of, I think, where cloud is doing very good work is it's driving, in many cases, this automation and configuration management because cloud instances, you know, vanish, go away, fall over, you know, you don't patch or you shouldn't patch a cloud instance. You should just spin up a new one with the new config and the new updates. It, it's it's very much this uh, this uh, automation and config management taken from a, a native perspective. So, how yeah. do you think? How do you think this this is kind of changing the way that people think about these technologies? Yeah, I think it is. I think. I think you're right in that the the cloud type thing is uh, is driving a different mindset towards the way that we treat we treat our servers. You know, we we treat these hosts that are doing things. There's a there's a I think it's an article on the register from some years back. Uh, although the the actual information is attributed to somebody else um, of this notion of treating servers like a, a pet or treating them like cattle. There's, uh, you know, if your if your pet gets sick, you take it to the take it to the vets and get it fixed up. If you're a, if your bit of your piece of cattle gets sick, you just put it down. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I think this sort of this sort of uh, short lived versus trying to nurture something is the way that cloud is actually driving these things. So your cloud instance starts to have a problem. It's like, you know, why spend the next three hours trying to debug the problem? Just kill the thing off and just spin up a new one. Now, if you're going to spin up a, a new instance of something to deliver, you know, some service or whatever, the chances are it's going to need configuring and you're not going to want to sit there and type for hours and hours. You know, you're not going to put a cd into a piece of hardware and boot the thing and then install it and that sort of mindset is 
driving these tools you're right so i think the the cloud thing is helping us look at things differently um short-lived short-lived pieces of uh, of of configuration need a tool to manage them yeah yeah. yeah i mean when i was working at microsoft in the azure team there i could actually kind of you could kind of predict if a customer didn't have any kind of config management system their cloud project didn't succeed if they weren't ready to adopt it or start using it they were just doing simple lift and shift got into the complexities of things and this cloud is horrible they don't want to do this let's go back home yeah, yeah. I think there's um there's a sort of a steady move towards a mutable infrastructure. So infrastructure that you just you don't you don't change it, you don't make any changes to it. You just mm-hmm. basically spin it up and that's it. And this is you know, a lot of the container space is yeah. is sort of leading us towards that way. You you bake your uh, you bake your cake and it is the way it is and you serve it and that's it. You don't make any changes to it once it's out there. Yeah. And also the move towards microservices, uh, even serverless compute the whole infrastructure thing gets more and more abstracted away. You need to have some automation in there to keep it all running and uh, yeah, monitored and alerting and stuff. Yep. So if someone is, is sort of in their on-prem world and uh, and thinking they'd like a little bit of this uh, this automation and configuration management, you know, what's what's the easiest way to to get started down this journey? Yeah, so... This, I think, this is gonna. This comes back to this comes back to context again, in the environment and thinking about uh, thinking about something in the environment that you're working. What's what's one of the simplest little problems that you can solve? I think spotting spotting a very very simple small thing and starting with that uh, with your tool of choice is the way to get going, and and that can be. You know that can be anything. It can be, it can be building new servers, for example. So, if you're if you're sitting there in your your bare metal environment, you know these days I should imagine most of the the operating system installs you're doing are, are probably virtualization hypervisors. But you could automate the build of the hypervisors, for example. That that is a good place to start. And you know naturally i'm always going to come back to ansible because that's where i am but uh, i'm i kind of uh, i did my own form of evangelizing of ansible for a long time before i was part of the company so now all i'm doing is just getting paid for saying the same thing that i was saying which is quite nice um <laughs> so i i will always come back to the ansible answer of it because i i'd used all of the other tools i'd used them for years um my my name is uh, is on one of the early puppet cookbooks as the technical reviewer for example because i was very entrenched uh, entrenched in the puppet community for a long time but the instant i spotted uh, i started using ansible i realized that the the people side of it how easy it was to pick up was a was a big selling point and one of the first things that i saw it being used for was actually building hypervisors and the reason why it had been picked by this particular consultancy was because it didn't need agents on the servers. Um, so just being able to communicate with a machine straight away was a was a really easy, quick win for them. So this was being used. It was very, very simple. It was used to build these hypervisors, just uh, building the hosts. And then from there, we all realized the power of the tool and started to use it for other things. But I see, I see places solve solve tiny little problems uh for example managing um ntp configurations 
Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen, uh, you know, a whole estate of, of hundreds of hosts need different configurations because their NTP servers are in different data centers, for example. And based on this tiny, simple problem, automating it away with, with Ansible was actually really, really easy. I mean, it is, it's probably half an hour of work to handle that. And when you handle it for one server, 10 server, 100 servers, it doesn't matter. It's the same amount of time. It can then be applied to 1,000 servers, 10,000 servers. It doesn't really matter, which is a, which is a really great way to scale things. So, yeah, I think, I think finding, finding a small pain point you have, no matter what it is, configuring a file, deploying a file, building a server, whatever, you can, you can start really, really small and then build on it from there. And if yeah, I understand correctly, yeah. then the entry point isn't also fixed. Uh, you can either start with the provisioning of the infrastructure or go to an application first. It kind of depends on the context you're working in and what's important for you at the time. You're absolutely right, yes. You, 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 can, you can literally start anywhere with any problem. What I would say is try and start with a small problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know don't, don't try and build your entire infrastructure yeah, across yeah, your yeah. network, your service, your hypervisors, and then stick your application on instantaneously because it's just going to frustrate you. Yeah. Start with something really tiny. Yeah, I've seen organizations actually lose courage and just yeah, abandon the project because they wanted to start from doing infrastructure up until the highest level, while that highest level was the thing that was hurting them at the moment. Yeah, it's it's the folks who sort of um, sit here at their desk looking at pictures of Everest and think, yeah, I'm going to go and do that in one go. <laughs> they quickly realise when they get to base camp, that's not quite so easy. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So we, we've kind of talked about a couple of different options for for kind of config management automation frameworks out there and there are there are a plethora how how does someone even go into the the process of deciding you know selecting one of these tools for their organization how how do they navigate this uh, this morass of, of different technologies Apart from obviously yeah. just, just use Ansible because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the obvious answer. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll take my, my, my blue red hat off for a second and, uh, <laughs> and play devil's advocate. Uh, there's, uh, there's actually there's a blog post I wrote in, oh, crikey, when did I write it? September, October 2013, so a full year before I joined uh, Ansible Inc. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. titled Puppet versus Chef versus Ansible because I've got experience of all three by this point. Mm-hmm. And that blog post, uh, at the time I wrote it, was one of the earliest blog posts out there on the Tinternets talking about these major products. Of course, there was still CF Engine loitering around as well. Um, yeah. I didn't have experience of that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yon, you're showing your years. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be. You have to. Yes, yes, you have to have been around for quite some time to go yay to CF Engine. (laughs) It's masochism, pure masochism. It absolutely is. I I used it back in 2004 for a very, very short time. Um, Anyway, I digress. So uh, that 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 blog post that I wrote. I refer to that because uh, I can show my um, my uh, uh, that I'm not quite so partisan based on that. 
So we take my hat off and I talk about choosing a different product. One of the things that I said in that blog post at the time was um, I couldn't imagine uh, using Chef for anything <laughs> because because uh, it was just it was so complicated. It just seemed to be so hard for everything. But now, actually, my view would probably be a bit softer. And I think if you if you were dealing with a team of developers and they wrote Ruby day in, day out, then yeah. Chef is going to come so easy to them because yep. you just write Ruby. Uh, and, you know, so it's not going to be that bad a choice. However, as I also wrote in that blog post at the time, and now, of course, I can only strengthen it, I would probably always pick Ansible over anything and everything because people can be so productive with it so fast. And the sort of common misconception that Ansible is just configuration management is quickly uh, dispelled by actually using it. One of the first talks I gave uh, after I joined the company towards the end of 2014 was at uh, DevOps Exchange London, Doxlon, D-O-X-L-O-N. If you go to YouTube and look up Doxlon Ansible, you'll find my talk. The talk that I gave there was showing that Ansible is actually far more like the conductor of an orchestra than it is a given instrument. Ansible was designed from the ground up to be an orchestrator. The idea is that it would just control various different elements. Uh, so you can start with configuration management, but you can also start with provisioning servers. And then you can also start with managing services on servers. So you could do rolling updates, for example, of if you wanted to deploy a new web service, um, taking a web server out of a load balancer, then doing the updates, putting it back into a load balancer and stuff, orchestrating the job. So I would actually, I would actually say that Ansible is probably an easier choice than anything because you'll pick the language up very, very, very quickly in the space of minutes, and you can do any one of these tasks. Uh, you know, there's network focus these days, there's Windows focus, there's so many different elements to it. So even back then, you know, long before Ansible was as developed as it is now, and long before I even worked for the company, I could see the beauty and simplicity of of the solution. So. Where do you start with these type of things? Pick a little tiny task, pick up Ansible. Mm -hmm. It'll take you a matter of seconds to install and give it a whirl. Yep. I think that's the, that's the key point is actually if you're unsure, if you want to kick, you know, kick the tires on the latest new hotness in the uh, config management automation orchestration space, then, you know, do a back-to-back. -back. Try, try solving the same problem with each of these, the same small problem with each of these tools. See how you get on. It, it's, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all with these things. Um, you know, some people will just have a natural leaning towards one technology or the other. And see, it could be because they develop Ruby all day, every day, and therefore it, writing stuff in Ruby is as, as natural to them as breathing. But it's... Uh, yeah, the, the way to choose these things is actually to just try using them and see how you get on. It's that's the definitely in my my view the most important way to to kind of look at this. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's it's so easy these days as well to consume content to solve a problem. Uh, almost every every vendor of of automation tools has their own uh, centralized repository where you can uh, pick um, pick a pre canned way of doing something. 
So uh, I think Puppet yeah. has Puppet Forge. Uh, we have Ansible Galaxy. So if you want to install a web server, you can go and search these repositories and find where somebody has already done the work. And, you know, this is where we come back to sort of the beauty of open source and sharing these type of things. So if you've got yeah. a particular problem to solve, you can probably find that somebody else has solved it for you and then try it in each one of these products and see which sits best with you uh, and how it works best for your context and your environment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's there's a few kind of standard uh, terms that come up when you, you're talking about, this is more kind of config management and orchestration. Um, so, yeah, one of those would be um, system state. So I think we've kind of touched on this a few times, but how would you define you know, system state within this within this arena? Yeah, so I think each... Each one of the tools will have their own way of phrasing the way that they get to things. So uh, as, as Yon is about to chuckle and agree with me, uh, CF Engine has uh, this idea of promise theory, uh, which is, you know, it's, I, I think it's a, it's a little bit overwrought, but in simple terms, the idea is that, that CF Engine aims to get you into a particular state, but it might take multiple runs to get there, but it won't break yeah. anything each and every time you do it. Um there's a there's a, there's a word that pops up an awful lot that people will hear and and I I have a strong dislike for this word and I'm about to explain why <laughs> with the very pronunciation of it you'll see the word idempotent used a lot and as soon as you bring up the word idempotent people go what is it idempotent uh, uh, idempotent I yeah, yeah people don't even know how to pronounce the word let alone what it means uh, this is this is one of those things where as per usual the IT industry has borrowed something from another another field because it thinks yeah. it applies uh, 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 the word is basically borrowed from maths and it means that if you uh, if you apply uh, a function uh, multiple times you still end up with the same result yeah. and this is this is basically the people trying to uh, people trying to uh, work out promise theory to, to get here really what we're talking about is is desired state and this is this is the state that you want something to be and let's say let's say we've got a web server and we want to install apache uh, if you wrote a shell script and it did a yum install apache and you ran mm-hmm. the shell script again it's it's fairly dumb. It's a blunt instrument. It will run yum install Apache again, and it, and it will fail because it's already installed. Yep. All of these configuration management tools, they have a notion of state, and they, they all have, um, as part of their sort of built-in structure, they have a way of achieving a task but not having to do the work if it doesn't need doing. And this is why I say desired state, and this is where people use idempotent um, a lot, which is where you'll hear that word. Let's take, for example, uh, Ansible. Ansible has modules. Now, there are... There are now, there's now ridiculous. There's about two and a half thousand modules in the Ansible distribution, I think. <laughs> we have this batteries included approach. This is a whole other conversation we can go into because there is a there's a blog post uh, blog post to, to reference by somebody else talking about the state of the Ansible ecosystem these days. Uh, I digress. Uh, Ansible modules. Each one is a tiny little tool that's designed to do one job and do that job well. So, for example, there's a copy module. There is a template mm-hmm. module. There's a file module. 
the, the copy module copies files. The template module uh, takes a template file that has variables in it and puts a file into place, filling in those variables. The copy module will copy a file. However, unlike writing CP or YOM or whatever in a shell script, each one of these modules will check the state, the end state that you're aiming for, and not do the work if it doesn't need doing. So if mm -hmm. we're installing the Apache web server, we might use uh, the uh, package module in, in an Ansible uh, uh, play, and we might say uh, package Apache state installed. And what it will do is look at the endpoint when it connects, and it will check and see if Apache is already installed. If it is, it won't redo the work. And that's where misuse of the word idempotent comes about in. I prefer yeah. to say desired state. We're, we're aiming for a desired state. Everybody understands desired state and everybody can pronounce it properly. <laughs> Which is Absolutely. better than having to... <laughs> well, we actually had we had this whole debate at the Amsterdam London meetup on Thursday as, as a guy said, yeah, I don't even know what the word means and I can't pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should just problems, right? stop... There you go. You see, there's another way of saying it. <laughs> I have I have no idea which one of us is right, you know, John. I, I have no idea. <laughs> it's just the word just needs to go away. We just need to say what we mean, and it's, it's desired state. That's what we're arriving at. Now, this is where all of these tools do the heavy lifting for us, because we only have to say we want that server to have Apache installed, and then the tool will handle whether it needs to be installed or whether it doesn't. And that's where it, you know, the heavy lifting is done for us. We don't have to write a load of checks into a shell script. It's so much easier than writing a shell script. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that the IT industry is amazing at doing is kind of wrapping up relatively simple terms into incomprehensible lingo and I, I think this is just one of those perfect examples, isn't it? Just let's let's adopt something from another area and make it sound more complex than it is, so it will be largely impenetrable to everybody else. Hooray! Yeah, Success. Yeah. I think. I mean, every every industry has that. I mean, you you, you look at the legal industry and you look at the uh, oh, you know the healthcare God. industry and. Yeah. <laughs> You know, how many times do you, you, you talk to a, a doctor and they'll say some things like, I'm sorry, I didn't even hear what you said, let alone be able to say it back to you or understand what it meant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my brain and, and I think, can't yes, even parse that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think a lot of the time we, we don't actually need to do to do this sort of thing. This comes back to that, any intelligent fool can make something more complicated. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's about actually taking, it's about taking the courage to say things as it is uh it's it's yep. not idempotent it's a it's a desired state that's what we're aiming for um you know everybody's life gets better then when we make it a bit easier people stop reinventing the wheel if it's easy <laughs> absolutely absolutely so you you actually did touch on this but I'd, I'd like you to go into a little bit more depth the the other concept or another concept that comes up is this concept of templating so how does this how does this fit into the conflict management orchestration story yeah, I think this is this is probably one of the earliest experiences all of us will have with configuration management. You know, I wind all the way back to that that story of 2004 and the first investment bank I worked in. Their templating system was M4. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, the idea of the idea of templating is it's kind of like doing um 
it's kind of like doing mail shots, I guess, uh, uh, that you will have a given piece of text and what you might want to do is change something in it. So you might be doing a, a mail shot, a, a bunch of letters to people and will want to say, um, dear Mark, uh, dear Dave and dear Jon. Now, we don't want to write three separate letters. We basically want the one letter and we just want our name changing. So we have a variable in there which we can change. And all configuration management systems have the ability to do this. Uh, and it's one of the it's one of the most powerful things within configuration management tools, I think. This is when you've got when you have variances of data across very large scale places, this is where being able to make changes very, very simply by derived logic instead of having to interact is where a template comes in. Uh, an example, let's say you've got uh, a data center in the US, you've got a data center in uh, Europe, and you've got a data center in uh, Asia Pacific. And you have lots and lots of servers in each one of those environments. And in each environment, uh, you have, uh, let's say, um, uh, DNS resolvers. And you want servers in each one of their geographical locations to look at DNS servers that are near to them. You don't want a US server looking at European DNS resolvers because you waste a bit of time going over the pond. So if you want to do the configuration of servers to look at their local DNS server, you've got a tiny bit of data that's going to change, but you don't want to write lots of different um, resolve.conf files. So you have one file as a template and you simply have a variable in there and then the configuration management system can handle making the change that's pertinent locally. Where the real power comes in as well is from the configuration management system being able to derive where it is. So learning a piece of information based on whatever. Typically, typically they're called facts. Most configuration management systems have a, have a notion of facts. And there are various tools that can derive facts for you. They can find out all sorts of information about your server, your local, everything. And then they can fill things in in the template based on those facts. It's a very, very powerful part, configuration management systems. And because it's built into them, it saves having to, to write it. Th that homegrown solution uh, from that bank that I worked in a long time ago, theirs, theirs was all written. There was, you know, there was so much code, um, so much code written into this, uh, into this whole scripting solution, trying to work out where something was and what needed applying. And you look at all the configuration management tools today, and it's all built into them, and you can instantaneously access that power. You know, it must save save hundreds of hours of development work picking one of these tools to be able to do that, and and getting an awful lot of power that goes with it. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, hello, Derek, if you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one of the we're so used to doing this in a, a connected environment, but what about if uh, what about if you're in an air gapped environment? You know, is this is this still achievable in a in a completely separated segregated environment? Yeah, this is this is um, this is an interesting thing, and uh, part of the experience that uh, that I brought into Ansible very early on was because I was used to working in these large-scale environments that typically didn't have internet access, then mm -hmm. there's a lot of modern tools 
have been written with cloud in mind. I mean, if you think about it, uh, AWS, when did AWS came about? It was like 2006, I think, something like that. And probably yes. by 2008, certainly by, by 2009, I was helping a friend out with, a, with his first startup and he was using AWS then. So, you know, 10 years ago, he was using AWS. He was probably quite early, early to the game. But by that point, you know, cloud was starting to come around and a lot of software vendors were thinking, well, you know, things are going to change within the next couple of years. We'll start writing our tools with connected in mind. And, yeah. you know, the, the irony is in these, these, these gigantic environments, despite the fact they are all connected and everybody's, everybody's really connected to the internet these days and everybody needs it. There's a lot of these environments where regulatory controls had not kept up with the technology that was available. And so regulation prevented them from having access to the internet. And of course, that really scuppers tools that are only designed that way. So to come back to your original question, most most vendors now are cognizant that their largest paying customers, governments, banks, etc., probably don't have uh, wholly internet accessed environments. And so you do need to be able to work in a in a in a contained environment and they pretty much all do work in contained environments sometimes it might uh, it might require uh, a little bit of configuring <laughs> to, to, to get there mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but luckily when you've got a tool that does that kind of thing it configure itself that's very meta isn't it <laughs> uh, yeah pr- pr- pretty much all of these environments uh, can be catered for uh, with relative simplicity in a, in a self-contained environment yeah yeah it does Fantastic. work. It works for old school as much as new school, I think. Exactly, exactly. So you, nobody is left out in the cold here. Cold here. Everybody's included. Everybody can join the party. Um, <laughs> so we've been talking kind of more at the level of services, servers, instances, and that sort of thing. But there's a phrase, um, uh, kind of a bit of a new age phrase, I would say, that, that comes up when you start to delve into this space. And that's kind of infrastructure as code. So when we talk about infrastructure as code, what, what does that mean? Yeah, I think I think we, we loosely brought this up a little while ago. And this is, so with, with this whole um, new world of DevOps, uh, which which is uh, which is comically when when you when you get to the roots of of DevOps, uh, it's basically common sense. <laughs> the de- development team talks to the operations team, and you 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 deliver something together. Ta-da! It's amazing how in, in large environments, silos. You know, in order to to, to get jobs done properly, jobs got siloed down into something very narrow focused. And people would just throw something over the fence. I mean, you remember what it was like in the environments where we worked together, yeah. Dave, where yeah. um, the engineering team would would build something, chuck it over at the ops guys, and they'd expect to be rolling with it straight away. And yet the ops guys go, no, hang on, that doesn't work, and then throw it back over the fence again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that doesn't work. The, the idea of DevOps sort of led to this idea of doing infrastructure as code. So the ops side uh, was encouraged to adopt development uh, style processes. So for a long time, developers have written code and put code into source control management repositories. So I think most people people will probably be aware of Git and GitHub and GitLab and people like that. Uh, Some of the, the older school folks will know of Subversion, 
You may know of Mercurial, uh, CVS, if you're particularly old. CVS, um, yeah. CVS. That's, I started out using CVS, <laughs> yeah, back in 96. Same, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Moving on. Yes, <laughs> we must not get stuck in that pain. Um, the idea is that you basically have you have history of the changes that you that you make, so it, yeah. it's it's not a case of a piece of code changes and then you you don't know how that change came about. You actually see what changed, who changed it, when it changed. You have a nice learning flow, which is pretty good. And I think with with sort of especially with the idea of DevOps, um, the Dev mentality started to lead the Ops mentality and said that really if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna sort of automate things so that we can work together so the computers are doing the heavy lifting then it would be a good idea if you adopted some of these style processes now where this comes into with the typical cm tools that we're talking about everything everything is written in text files um the idea of using a gui is you know great on a small scale but you can't you can't do large scale with a gui because you can't click on 40,000 hosts at once you know microsoft have realized this which is why you have extremely powerful scripting tools even in windows these yep. days uh, yep. and they've increasingly realized the way to scale is actually the unix mentality not the the end user mentality so everything's written as a text file, which means that you can store the way your infrastructure is described in a text file. You can store it in the same way that, that developers do in source control management type things. So infrastructure as code is this idea that you write and describe the way that your systems look in the same way that you write software and you store it and you work with it and you behave in all the same sort of practices. It's all a really, really good thing. Uh, and it feeds back to to a, to a comment I brought up earlier on, the, the Yves Moreau talk, uh, understand what your colleagues actually do. Infrastructure as code is a great way of, of doing that and, f and creating that feedback loop. Brilliant. So, kind of coming towards the end here, um, I think what would be useful is, uh, I think we've talked a little bit about this, what, when an organisation is looking to, to get started and get gone to join this fabulous journey towards enlightenment, um, we've talked a little bit about how they can get started. So, you know, pick a tool or, you know, run a, run a selection process with a couple of tools, start off with a small problem, you know, go from there, select a technology and continue to grow that uh, that adopted base of, of automated, orchestrated goodness. But what are some of the other sort of best practices? What are some of the other things that uh, you've learned through your time here that uh, that we perhaps haven't touched on so far? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of... Um, there are a lot of simple little things that you can do when you get going that uh, that you you realize later on end up helping you this um in terms of ansible stuff there's a really good best practices talk by one of my colleagues uh, a chap called tim apnell uh, wrote a blog post uh, on ansible.com slash blog called uh, ansible best practices and it's also been recorded as a talk so i think on ansible.com slash webinars if you look for the best practices talk you'll find tim giving that talk 
it's actually works really well as a generic talk and not just Ansible because some of the things that he talks about are things like variables and code storage. So all of these things that we've talked that back up things like infrastructure as code and backup templating, he gives some really good examples of things that you can do when you get going on your journey that will help you later on. Uh, a, a conversation that I used to have all the time when I was doing pre-sales is quite often I'd be talking to somewhere that was a puppet shop or a chef shop uh, and they'd done a tiny little bit of dabbling with Ansible because it solved a particular problem. Usually it was around where they couldn't access a host. They couldn't put an agent on a host. Those are the tools all need mm. agents. You have to put something remote on there and Ansible doesn't need an agent. So you can just keep going from a from one you could go and going from your laptop for example um because they couldn't put an agent on something like network devices or whatever they'd have a dabble with ansible and then they thought oh actually this is quite easy i want to roll with other stuff and the debate would often be well you know we don't want to throw out all this work we've already done so we don't we don't want to replace puppet or chef um and the thing that I used to say to them is there are so many things you will have learned along that journey. All it will do is accelerate your next step. You're not throwing it away. There's, You might well stop using the tool and start using a different tool, but there are foundations all along the way that you will have learned which will serve you well. And a lot of Tim's best practices talk goes into those foundations, so it's not product-specific. So that's quite a good thing to look at. However... There's another way of looking at it in that I think we alluded to this earlier on. Basically, my softening view of the way that we used to do things is, um, yeah, we might have better ways of doing it. But at the time, the way that we did the things delivered a business goal. If it's delivering a business goal, then it's not wrong. It's doing what it needs to do. If you pick a tool that makes it easy to refactor what you've done, then I think you can you can actually not worry too much about planning to the nth degree. So you can just get going and then you can refactor later on. And there's there's one very, very simple thing which developers know all too well that makes it easy to refactor is anytime you think a piece of information is likely to change, abstract it to a variable. <laughs> How many times do we come across code applications that have got a hard-coded IP address or web address in or something <laughs> like that. And it just leads to utter chaos. Uh, you know, configuration management, because it's infrastructure as code, it's no different. If you've got a piece of information that is likely to change, just make it a variable. And then you have that in your variable store, which all of these tools have. And it does make it easy then to refactor. Interesting story on that. Um, I once worked with a customer who completely ripped out one of the other tools. I won't mention the name. Uh, they'd spent a couple of years developing it, and it had got to be so painful introducing new people to it because the language learning curve was so steep that they wanted to replace the whole thing. They replaced the whole thing with Ansible, and they replaced two years of work in three months because they Jeez. were able to lift all of the variables that they had, they lifted them lock, stock and barrel as they were, dropped the mm. same variable structure because it was all in YAML straight into uh, to Ansible's way of doing it. And then all they had to do was rewrite the logic. That was a great piece of planning on their part. And it wasn't tool specific. It was just the way they abstracted information. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the, that's one of the advantages of this kind of approach, isn't it? The, 
you'd never you'll never lose anything from the experience you've gained the knowledge you've learned i mean the the concepts of automation you know the details might differ but the concepts of automation between all of these different technologies are broadly similar so you know as with all of these things the the first time you do something might take longer the second third time you do that thing should be much much faster and i think this kind of plays into that uh, into that sense of things yeah, absolutely. There's, there's. I mean, uh, Ansible is a bit like uh, Unix itself in that there's always at least half a dozen different ways to do the same thing, which I think applies to the whole tech industry as a, as a whole. And sometimes picking the best way is, excuse me, is purely about context. Um, there's a there's another really great talk that people might want to watch by one of the core developers, uh, Brian Coker. He gives a great talk, uh, Ansible Tips and Tricks. Uh, and, and Brian, because he's been a core developer right since the beginning, he understands the product inside out. And he's he is absolutely brilliant at making something simple. He is the absolute opposite of, of any intelligent fool can make something more complicated. He, he, he really does take the courage to make things simple by looking at things differently. His talk, I, I've watched it a number of times, and each time I go back and watch it again, I learn something new because he has such little gems of doing things that you realize that the way that he's thinking about doing it, although he's applying it to Ansible, it actually could be applied to any of this sort of arena. It's just the way that he looks at it. And it's, it's fantastic. Um, It's a fantastic list of, of things that you can learn from to, uh, to apply to this whole arena. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, there is much, much more that I would like to talk to you about, but unfortunately we're, we're running a bit long. So I think we will, uh, as long as you're up for it, as long as you've enjoyed your experience so far, we'll get you back again. I think that will be absolutely wonderful. I think uh, there, there are, you're right. There is so much that we could talk about. Um, yes, we could go on for an awfully long time, couldn't we? So it's probably a good time to call it quits now. Yes. Thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. So anything else from you, Jan? No, no, thanks, Mark. Thanks for being on. Thanks for giving all this information. Sorry, I've been listening a lot. So I want to advantage from Davis all the talking. I can do the learning. <laughs> so thanks, and uh, we have to see you back again. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you both. Absolutely. All right. Well, take care and speak to you soon. And thank you so much, Mark, for... Uh, dropping all of that wisdom and knowledge, entertainment and other fun stuff onto both us and our listeners. Um, I hope you found that useful and interesting. I certainly did. Um, and uh, it was great to, great to spend time chatting with Mark. Yes, and uh, with all the time you spent with him, we never really got into the details of actually talking about real hands-on product stuff and everything. So I think we will be revisiting this in the near future, maybe, perhaps. I think that is very likely indeed. Um, but until that time, unless you have anything else? Uh, nope, just want to reach out to our audience. If you have any questions around this subject you want us to tackle, well, we will be re- re- uh, revisiting the subject. Let us know so we can uh, help you out with that. Very much so. In that case, that is all the time we have today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really helps and ensures we keep the stellar levels of quality and, uh, yes. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to our guests. Um, We are on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, 
notification bell, all the YouTube things. If you're listening to us on a phone, pause the recording or maybe carry on playing the recording if that's possible. Switch your phone to the YouTube application. Search for Roaring Elephant Podcast. Find us there. Subscribe. Still on the journey to 100. Come on, we can do it. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about this podcast, follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is Jon. And look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>